Revelation 14 says, I heard a loud voice, the voice of an angel, and he said, Fear God and give him glory. Worship him who made the heavens and the earth, the seas and the springs of water. As Seventh-day Adventist Christians, we believe in what we call the three angels' message, that being angel number one, that at the close of human history, God ushers in a new era, an era of glory. Jesus said it himself when he spoke to us while he was here. He said, when the Son of Man comes in his glory. The first time he came, we talked about this all last Christmas. He came in humility, born in a stable, born amongst the animals. But he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, things will be different. And all the angels with him. And what we've been trying to piece is what's our role in the trajectory of human history. Revelation says, the book of Revelation says, that at the close of human history... The issue of glory is of utmost importance. In fact, if you read Revelation for yourself, you will find that worship is a central theme at the close of human history. But what is it, and how do we do it? See, that verse says that worship is a verb and not a noun. Fear God and give him glory. Worship him. Worship him. I mentioned this during first service, but I think over the last 25 years, in particular amongst Protestant Christianity, we have changed worship from a verb to a noun, a thing that happens, the worship, the worship service, the worship, maybe even limited to what just happened, the people that sing. And so we come to church and come to a religious experience and we let someone else worship and we've come perhaps to learn, to educate ourselves, to be inspired. But Revelation says that at the close of human history, those who God has called and become his followers, give him glory, and they worship him. Worship is a central theme to the identity of those God calls his own. Now, I'm not sure if you believe that or you understand it. The truth is, God spends the majority of this, bo of, of this book trying to explain and express that relationship that we have with him. But it's encapsulated in that phrase, Give him glory. Give him glory. Now, I think Crystal did a great job, and we could just call it a day right there, Crystal. It's all good. It's all good. I think that um, it's difficult, though, for us to process some of this because our life seems to want to take a different turn. And we want God to sort of like come to us and bless us and be along for our journey. But the invitation there in Revelation 14, the first angel's message, is for us to get along with his journey. Fear God and give him glory. So what I want to do today is I want to take a look at what giving glory is, what it means, and how we do it, maybe in a more practical way. I discussed the last couple of weeks and how it's important for us to understand that at the close of human history, just like it was at the beginning, worshiping God on the seventh day, the Sabbath day, is part of God's design for helping us understand who we are in light of who he is. But in particular, how do we worship him? How do we worship him? And what we're going to learn is from Jesus himself. So Matthew chapter 6, open your Bibles please to a very familiar place. We've been reading here before. Uh, but we're going to look now with different eyes to try to understand what Jesus has in store for us today. <clears throat> so the Bible tells us in the book of Matthew, as Jesus was beginning his earthly ministry, as he stepped into his destiny for the reason that he came, the Bible says the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove and said, This is my son in whom I am well pleased. 
John the Baptist looked at him and said, Behold, the Lamb that takes away the sin of the world. And Jesus steps into this ministry, steps into this role, his destiny, and he begins to live out his purpose by laying down this great sermon we call the Sermon on the Mount, which today would be called the TED Talk. And, and Jesus explains the kingdom. And he, and he reveals things and unmasks things and clarifies things. Things that had been heard long ago but were misunderstood by the time that he arrives. And here we find some great instruction and great direction for what it means to worship. So we're going to be in chapter 6. Are you there with me? Say amen. Hey, chapter 6, and we're going to read from verse 9. Familiar place? You shouldn't need to read it, but, but I want you to see it for yourself. And Jesus is speaking. He says, the kingdom of God is like this. And this is, this is what's important in the kingdom of God. And then he says, but when you pray, this then is how you should pray. Our Father. And our. And as. And. But for and and amen. <laughs> okay, you're struggling with that. Um, obviously, it's familiar, the Lord's Prayer. And over the last few weeks, we've been discussing uh, that statement of intention there at the beginning, your kingdom come, because I'm convinced it's about kingdoms. It's about kingdoms. It's about who's on the throne and who deserves the accolades of being the king. But I think that Jesus does something here really, really ingenious. Is that not only does he give us this great language to glorify God in sound and in verb with prose, almost musical, Jesus actually gives us an expression of what it means. So I want us to take a closer look. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, or hallowed be your name. It begins right there. Jesus establishes the relationship, our Father. And he begins this, 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 this context, the, the context of this conversation, for helping us understand who he is in light of who we are. Our Father, hallowed be your name. Hallowed means to be made holy, to be glorified, to, to, to be uh, uh, set aside and to cause to be glorified. Hallowed be thy name is not necessarily a statement but a request that God would glorify his own name, that he would do something to bring his name glory. You follow me? That's how it's written in there. Hallowed be your name. In other words, make your name be holy because there's only one who is holy. God. God is holy. And, and so Jesus says when you pray, ask God, request of God that he would cause his name to be glorified. Now for some, this concept of glory and, and appraising someone, especially if you read it in the, in the Bible, is filled with, with, with requests that God's name would be glorified, that glory would be given him. For some, it seems a bit excessive that God needs all this glory. But, but we'll understand why in a minute. We're, we're going to get there. Jesus says, when you pray, ask that God would glorify his name. But the thing is that God has... A couple of different ways he can do this. In the same way that you and I have a couple of different ways. See, Jesus says at the end of human history, God comes in his glory. It belongs to him. He is glory. He is, he is surrounded by, by power and light and majesty. 
That's why Jesus says when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels, and when the, John the Revelator tries to describe that he can't come up with any words, he just says fire and, and white and blazing, and he can't describe it. Uh, it it's, it's so radiant, it's so powerful, he can't describe it. And all that belongs to him. It's who he is. It, what's, it's, it's how he's dressed. So the Bible tells us that in the end, at the end of human history, God comes, the Son of Man comes in his glory. That belongs to him. So he can glorify himself by just revealing himself, by who he is. You following me? Just like someone who possesses a special gift or skill, when they exercise that gift, everyone is in awe. Awe, right? When you hear a famous musician sing, you... Oh, wow. Or, 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 or pianist. Um, uh, a few weeks ago, I took my wife on a date, and I thought I was being cool, and I took her to a, um, a very small concert um, that, for some reason, I thought was a cello. It turns out it was not a cello. It was a double bass. So a solo concert by a double bassist. Just picture that for a second. So it's one guy with a gigantic double bass and a laptop. And... Um, we walked in, and we were, like, the only people south of 60 in there, and we're like, wow. Uh, it was fascinating, though, when he started to play, because you're like, what is he going to do with this thing? But this giant double bass can make so many sounds when attached to a computer. It was eerie and scary and exciting. It was weird, but it was, we were in awe. Wow. Have you ever done that? Have you ever gone, wow? Yes. Yes, of course you have. <laughs> You have been exposed to something amazing, something beautiful, something majestic. You are in awe. That's what happens when God shows up. Our natural response is to be in awe. And so what God is doing here, Jesus is saying, if you understand who he is and you understand what he is and what he represents, you will be in awe. But there's another way God uses to glorify himself. You know that? Jesus talks about it just before in a chapter. He says to us, he says, so be a, be a light. And let your light, right? Remember the song? Does anybody remember the song? No one? <laughs> this little light, I'm going to let it. This little, guys got high, okay. Hide her under a bushel. No, I'm going to let it, let it, let it. There you go, there you go. That's, you know, all pop songs come from the Bible, by the way. Um, <clears throat> so, so Jesus says, let your light shine. And here's the kicker. He says, so that others will see your good deeds and give glory to your Father. There's two ways that God glorifies himself. By revealing who he is and then by letting his sons and daughters reveal who he is. Let your good deeds shine so that people will see you and glorify your Father. You see that? Two ways. And so Jesus here in, in this prayer, when he says, hallowed be your name, he's asking us to introduce both of those things, that God would reveal himself and then that we would reveal him. That's how God's name is hallowed. hallowed. So I want us to understand how we will do this. So it's one thing to say glory, glory to God. It's another thing to live in such a way that others will bring glory to God. But the keys, I found it right there. Okay, so follow with me. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Verse 1, your kingdom come, your will be done. We've been talking about that in our community. Your kingdom come means that we, we, we understand that it's about kingdoms. It's about who rules. But the word here, your will be done, is an expression of surrender. 
So one of the ways you bring glory to God is by surrendering your authority. Your will be done is an act of surrender. Did you know you have authority? Now, some of you guys are like me when I was growing up. I'm the youngest in my family, and I was like, I have no authority in this household. Everybody else tells me what to do. Right, Asher? He's very upset about that. Right, Asher? I was just like him. And, uh, you know, that made me, like, fight a lot harder (laughs) because we all want authority. But you do have authority. And as you grow and become yourself, your own person, you begin to understand how much authority you have over the course of your own life. And more than just yours, you have authority over the lives of others. Those that are your kids, your family members, sure, but your people that work under you, people that admire you, and people that are around you, whether you like it or not, you exercise influence over them. That's what's called authority. But in this prayer, Jesus says, your will be done. And what he's challenging us to do is in order to give him glory, we have to surrender our authority to his. Surrender our authority to his. Now, what would that mean practically for you? I'm not exactly sure, but I'm guessing that some of you guys are at a point of decision-making. And there's a good chance when you're coming at that point of decision-making, you have a couple of options to follow. Do the thing that you want to do, the thing that feels right to you or feels good to you or is appealing to you, (laughs) or do the thing that God suggests because they're not always, in fact, they're rarely the same. To surrender our authority means that we, Mark Patterson says, we, we dethrone ourselves and we enthrone him. That he gets to sit on the throne to direct us, dethroning ourselves. Now, some of you guys like your throne more than others. <laughs> you like to be enthroned. You like others to know that you're on the throne. <laughs> yes, queen. You know, you want to be up there. You want to, I'm going to do what I do. But the Bible says, your will be done. Your will be done. Dethroning ourselves means that we take a back seat when it comes to authority. And authority, listen carefully, authority has to do with defining what is truly right versus what is not. Is there an authority under heaven? There is. There absolutely is. Modern culture would have us believe that there isn't. But Jesus says when you pray, pray to surrender your authority. Look at the next one. Jesus says, and give us this day our daily bread. Give us this day our daily bread. I love that one. I like bread. I can't eat it quite as much anymore as I used to, but I love bread, the smell of it. But the concept of the daily bread is obviously an echo an echo back to uh, early uh, beginnings of Israelite History when God provided daily bread, manna from heaven. When God would make sure that they were provided for and that they couldn't collect more than what was necessary for that day. So they depended on God for daily provision. Jesus says when you pray, the way you give him glory, listen, listen, is by embracing your dependence of him. Why is this really important today in our culture? Well, it's, it's, it should be evident. We... The jobs report came out yesterday, and according to the economists on the radio, we are living in the greatest economy of our lifetime. Something like 3.6 unemployment rate, even wages uh, uh, for the lowest levels of income are going up. So we're at this great economic uh, place in American history. And what that does 
is it fools us into believing that we can provide for ourselves. I'm an immigrant myself, first-generation immigrant. My family came here with nothing, and we built slowly but surely, you know, a life. <laughs> My family jokes about it, an empire, you know. Uh, we were just going over this. My dad was a, a cement worker, and, and my mom was just a house cleaner when she first started. They used to iron, um, they used to work at a laundry, and they would get like five cents a sleeve. Just, and then eventually, they own properties, they own a business. They're a big deal now. That's not bad. And the work ethic necessary to accomplish that is to be admired. But the challenge there is the illusion that we are creating this and that it defines us. To, give, uh, to ask God to give us this day our daily bread is to recognize that every day, listen to me, every day is a gift from God. Every breath is a gift from God. Every waking moment is a gift from God. And when I receive that and understand that, then I become dependent on Him because my tomorrows are not guaranteed. I know that as well as anybody else. And I am challenging myself to, to wrestle with that truth and embrace it. Listen, listen. So I do not take for granted what I have today. So that I do not uh, ignore and overlook the gift that is today. Oftentimes, we say to ourselves, I know there's a cat over there. Yeah. <laughs> Let's just embrace the cat. It just passed by. <laughs> I, I know that we say to ourselves, oh, I'll get to it, I'll get to it, or, or you know, I'll, I'll ask for forgiveness tomorrow, whatever it may be, but, but it's not guaranteed. To, to, to ask God for the daily bread is, is a twofold blessing. One is to understand that God is the giver, but secondly is to understand that God will give you enough for today, and you don't have to worry about everything. When I start to think about everything, I get overwhelmed, don't you? I've been telling my friends that I've been already grieving my daughter's, uh, the loss of my daughter. She's, she's about to finish her freshman year. She'll be a sophomore in like a month. Uh, and I'm already in the grieving process. I know one day she's going to leave and never come home. That's just how it goes, right? Some of you all left and you never came back, right? I mean, some of you guys staying forever. I get that. Okay. I see you, Mom. She's like, not this one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you say that now, but when she's 36, you're going to be like, drop kick. Um, <laughs> the challenge, though, is can I embrace that truth today? Can I embrace the blessing of having what God has given me for this day? Because when I start thinking about protecting and projecting, and don't get me wrong, we're not saying planning is not good or not useful. It definitely is. God's wisdom is, is to count the cost and to look ahead. But God is, God is trying to help us to understand that we cannot provide for our future. We depend on Him. And when we do that, when we actually give Him recognition for who He is, what He does in our lives, we actually open up the doors of heaven, the Bible says, and unlocks the power of His provision. You see, and that truth of God's provision is why I told you in the sanctuary, the bread, the bread was kept there constantly and was renewed. See, Jesus is the provider. Jesus is the provider. In this prayer, give us this day our daily bread, we're talking about asking God to reveal to us the blessing of today. And for, for some of us, the older I get, the more I, the more I come face to face with this term, I can only handle today. Right, parents? Right? Some of you guys are hitting, like me, midlife, you're like, I just... Just get me through this day. <laughs> Give us this day our daily bread. And you know what? When we encapsulate our life that way, that's how we give glory to God. 
because I do not have to be defeated by a tomorrow I'm not in charge of. God is on the throne, and the whole world is in his hands, and he can take care of it. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. I'll take care of tomorrow. You just concentrate on what I've placed before you today. Next, forgive us our debts as we also forgive our debtors. I like how Jesus puts it here, these debts. Because I think that, uh, you know, growing up in the Spanish culture, uh, I learned how to um, amass debts. And I'm not talking about like how I owed somebody. I probably did, but I wasn't concerned about that. I was more concerned about what they owed me. You with me? What they owed me. And, and we inadvertently communicate this to our kids because my kids know very well what I owe them. <laughs> my son will remind me at a moment, so you said, <laughs> you promised, you did, and you did this for so-and-so, and where's mine? In fact, just yesterday, <laughs> it's weird, just yesterday the kids are like, oh, tomorrow's is May 4th. And I was like, oh, that's right, May the 4th, right? May the 4th be with you. And then they're like, ooh, yeah. Oh, last year Papa got us some, I can't wait to see what he's going to get us tomorrow. <laughs> no, they'll be very disappointed and they'll let me know later, <laughs> later on today. But we're very good at somehow subconsciously communicating what people owe us. Especially, listen, listen, I'm just going to be honest with you guys, because whether you're Hispanic or you're Asian, you have the same, same kind of math, this debtor math. When somebody crosses your line, crosses the path, you know, transgresses, goes across the line, oh, we're really good at keeping track of debts. We get offended so easily, right? And we forgive. Sure, sure, don't worry about it. But we keep track. This concept of debt keeps us, keeps us from glorifying the Father. Because that's not how He is. God, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors means that God wants us to forgive the way He forgives. And you know what God does whenever you have a debt made out to Him? He pours Jesus' blood on it. And that blood covers the debt. And wipes it away. And you no longer owe him. You don't have to pay it back. You don't have to justify it. It is gone. It is forgiven. And so Jesus says, when you pray, pray that you would be able to do the same. So that when you forgive the person that's sitting next to you, and you cancel the debt, your father would be glorified. Listen, I know what I'm asking you to do. feels really impossible. Right now, you're sitting next to someone whom you love but has hurt you, broken your heart, crossed the line, and you've forgiven them, but the debts are still there. Listen, I know exactly, because I'm just like you. I know exactly what that means. But to literally say, I cancel this debt, it is no longer, you know what that does? That liberates you first. That sets you free first long before it sets them free. Because to have to account for every debt owed to you is really tiring. It's really exhausting. It keeps you in a perpetual state of self-defense, constantly weighing, constantly measuring, constantly watching whether or not someone has fulfilled their debts, paid their dues, been in a dark house long enough, apologized enough, suffered enough, 
We want to make sure that they pay. That's our human sense of justice. But God's sense of justice is completely different. He says, I demand justice, but my son will pay for it all. I will take it out on him. And to you, I will cancel. That's what brings him glory. When we, in our daily walk, do the same. And lastly here, he says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. To lead us not means that we accept that God leads. See, in this prayer, Jesus helps us to understand that we need direction and that we must accept direction. And that's the hardest thing for us to do in a Western culture because we've been taught and raised to believe that we are makers of our own destiny, that we can choose, and the paths are entirely up to us. But Jesus says, no, let God lead you. Lead us not into temptation means that we accept that he will lead us in a different place. That means you have to accept instruction and direction. Yes, where does it come from? It's written in here, but the Holy Spirit will take all these truths and make them real in your life for your situation. But you have to be willing to accept that direction. The more stubbornly we hold to our own paths, our own ideas and understandings, the less we acknowledge his direction and the less we glorify him because he cannot be revealed in our short-sightedness. He will only be revealed in his glory and in his grace when we follow his direction. So lead us not into temptation, but deliver us. Deliver us from evil. See, friends, to be delivered means that we are changed, transformed, we go from this to that, from this grave to out of the grave, from these chains to out of these chains, from this situation out of the situation. Change requires transformation. And Jesus pray that you will be transformed. But you know how you are transformed? By practicing something different daily. Practicing something different daily. So to give God glory, just as, just as we heard here in the children's story, is to choose to see things differently, and to act differently, to respond differently by following Jesus' guidelines. Forgiveness, surrender, accepting direction. And all of these things lead us to a different outcome. And is that outcome, who we become, that gives God glory. You know why? Because when other people see you becoming, they notice, and God gets the credit. The saddest thing for us in Christianity, especially in Adventist Christianity, is that for the last 50 years, we've stayed relatively the same. And it's, it's not a great PR move for us to say, come and see and taste to see the Lord is good. And we are sad, unhappy, bickering, nothing changes. The saddest thing, friends, is if somebody leaves our community and comes back 10 years later and you're sitting in the same seat, looking the same, acting the same. That means nothing has happened in your life. And God is not about that. Lead us not, but deliver us. Forgive us our debts. Daily bread is a process of daily walking in transformation. And you know what we call that? Giving Him glory. Giving Him glory. Worship Him is a verb. It's how we participate in the everyday. I'm telling you, worship does not happen here if it didn't happen out there. What we do when we come together is to celebrate all the worshiping we've been doing out there in your life, in your everyday, where you are. If you're not worshiping God there, forgiving debts at your work, 
receiving your daily bread at your home and in your business, then you will never, you will never be able to bring true glory here in his house. The sacrifices will not be accepted. What God wants is for you to give him glory where you already are. And you know that only you can worship God there? Because you're there. God sent you there. That's why Ephesians says we were chosen. We were chosen when we accept Christ for his glory. Where you are exactly in this family, you know, in that school, in this situation, that's your moment. That's the place chosen for you to give him glory. And I believe that as we do these things, as we let God transform us, we will, in fact, unmask and uncover the truth about who he is. Because, you know, nobody knows. People want to know. They're interested. You know, there's not a more, more, more uh, spiritually interested generation than the one they're in. They're just not looking to us for it. Why? Because we haven't been very good at it. But they want to know. Not here, but there where you are. Right where you are at your home, in your neighborhood. And I'm challenging you that we can, in fact, choose to give him glory in the everyday. Worship is a verb. It is not a noun. It is not a location or an event. It is a way of life. It is a practice of life. So today, when you leave this place, maybe the first thing you got to do is look at yourself and ask, whose debt do I need to cancel? And friends, if, if you have to, get out a piece of paper and write it down. Write their name and say, I canceled the debt. You don't have to show it to them. It's not about bragging. It's not about posting. But just, just, just cancel the debt and let them go. Release it. Maybe today is the day you finally acknowledge that it is God who's given you everything that you have. And that your identity is not in those things. Mark Batterson says your identity is not in who you are, but whose you are. That he is our father. You are his son. You are his daughter. Maybe today is the day you give him the recognition that belongs to him. Batterson says whatever, whatever you don't turn into praise will become pride. And pride is the enemy of worship. The enemy of worship. Instead, let's praise him. And let's embrace the gift of this day. Just this day. What God has given you, the people the opportunities, and give him the glory because he's the one. All good gifts come from above. And as we do that, we will unlock doors for others to see God is good. God is good. He can be trusted. I trust him. I know you do too. Let's give him the glory.